Morning, everyone. I've got a question for you. Can you put the first slide up for me, please, guys? Um, all of you have come here uh, either today for the first time or at some point when you came here. And I want to do a little survey. And my, It's a very simple survey. It's how aware were you of what the vineyard meant or the vineyard movement of churches meant before you came to the church. Now, you can answer this however you want, but I put four possible answers if you are the sort of person who needs you know, to pick one from four. Either you were really well aware of it and um, you came because of what you knew, or maybe you were somewhat aware of it, interested to find out more. Maybe you'd vaguely heard of it and thought it might be worth checking out. Or maybe you'd never heard of the Vineyard Church movement and you just came for totally different reasons. Just turn to the person next to you and just in one minute tell them some roughly where you are on that spectrum of um, answers. Okay, that's quite enough talking. Um, I'll give you some more opportunity to share. Uh, no, I won't actually. You can carry on after the service. Um, but I would be really interested to know, just by show of hands, if you're in category A, if you were well aware of what the vineyard was before you came here, raise a hand. Interesting. How about B, somewhat aware? Good. How about C, vaguely heard of? And there's no shame in this whatsoever. Anybody in category D, never heard of? Interesting. Fascinating. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Why am I asking you, to, uh, why am I asking you these questions? Well, as you know, we're not just a standalone church here. Winchester Vineyard is part of a wider family. It's part of the vineyard movement. Or, I mean, we, use the, we interchange the word movement, family, and personally, I quite like the word tribe. But Because um, movement just sounds... I mean, we are moving. It's the right word, but it has some baggage with it around church movements. But anyway, we're, whatever we call it, we are part of it. And in this series, we're looking at what that family is all about and what it means to be a church with the name Vineyard and why that's important. Now, my children, for example, having grown up, they know and they're aware of and they're connected to their wider family. They know that they've got grandparents. They know they've got aunts and uncles and cousins who we don't always see, but who we are connected to. They know that those guys are part of the story of where they came from. And they know some of the family stories that have defined our family's history and values, both on Joe's side and on my side as we came together. And in the same way, as a church here, we want to have that feeling of connectedness. I think it's important that we have a sense of where we are, of where we came from, and why it is that we do what we do. And so if you're here today because you're new to faith or even new to this church, and kind of scratching your head and thinking, is this the place for me? then this series will really hopefully help you to find out a bit more about who we are and what we're part of. And if you're here because, you know, you've been here a long, long time, then this will also serve as a refresher to help us remember why it is that we do the things that we do, why we are like we are, because it's really good as a family every now and then to remind ourselves of a little bit of our legacy, a little bit of our story, because it's about identity and it's about who we are. And we don't often focus on our own story and vision. We don't often talk about this. But last week, Paul kicked off this new series, which we're calling Multiply Vineyard, okay? Because we've been talking about the word multiply all year. And uh, we've been looking specifically at values and beliefs. And Paul introduced us to this, oh, sorry, introduced us to this guy, the vineyard person, um, who's changed his name, actually, because he used to be called the vineyard man back in the day and he used to look a lot more square and a lot less graphically designed than this um, however um, the vineyard person which Paul went through and hopefully you had a, sh a sheet with it on last week and um, 
If not, we'll put something in the, the bulletin, the newsletter about it. But um, this is just a very simple way of representing the things that are important to us as a church, kind of the different um, aspects of church. I need to say this, and Paul said it last week, but I need to say it again. We are not in any way claiming to be special or better than any other church, denomination, movement, family or tribe. That is not what this is about. But this is about us being who God has called us to be and living up to that calling the best as we can. And we really do believe that we are called by God, that God called this church into existence, that he called the leaders into it. Winchester Vineyard does not just exist because somebody thought it was a good idea. Okay, we are here because God called us into existence as part of a vineyard family who God also clearly called into existence. And Paul quoted John Wimber last week. And John Wimber said, I'll talk more about him in a minute. He said, we are just one vegetable in the stew. We add our flavor to the whole stew of the church of, of, of Jesus Christ. But as Paul said last week, if we are a carrot then let's be the best carrot we can be. It's really worth taking a couple of weeks to really understand who we are and what God's called us to. Another way of saying that is a quote that's on your sheet. You should have a sheet, by the way. It's just a little bit of a cheat sheet. It's got some various bits of information that you might want to not, not try and write it all down. Um, you might want to take home. But on there is a quote from Eleanor Mumford, who said this, we are a mere thread in the global tapestry of the church. But... We are a thread of God's weaving. And I think that's really important. Now, how do you know that we're a thread of God's weaving? Well, we have a story. We have a timeline. I've tried my best to put together a simple timeline. I was saying to somebody this morning, if I wanted to make this sound even more um, sort of kosher, I would probably have used the word genealogy. This is our genealogy. As Winchester Vineyard, we have a timeline, a story of God. And there's a US part to it and there's a UK part to it. And the US part to it starts, as Paul mentioned last week, with a movement called the Jesus Movement. Which, And you can look up each of these things online. There's quite extensive Wikipedia entries about each of these subjects. Um, but the Jesus Movement, as, as was um, the story of this was told in that film, The Jesus Revolution. Unfortunately, it's not out on Netflix in the UK. It seems to be out on Netflix in the US. So maybe some of you IT guys have got fancy ways of getting into that, but I don't. Um, so at some point soon, hopefully, it will be available to us in the UK. But this is a story of an incredible time in the 1960s, originating in Southern California, where literally hundreds of thousands of people came to Jesus. Claire likes to tell me that she came to Jesus as part of the Jesus Revolution. I don't think you're in Southern California, but, it was, <laughs> but I think it was some Americans who witnessed to you. I think that's right, yeah, who had come from there. And so um, God infiltrated uh, and initiated this massive movement, uh, which grew into a church and grew into a whole number of church movements, one of which was a church called Calvary Chapel. That was kind of one of the central churches and church movements. It started with 25 people leading this ministry to former hippies. They embraced informal hippie culture. They embraced rock music and uh, it grew into a massive global church planting movement. Now, as part of that 
movement of churches, a guy called Ken Gullickson, who isn't very well known, but is a very important part of our story, planted a church in, west, in the west part of Los Angeles, which he kind of informally called the Vineyard Church. It was part of the Calvary Chapel movement. He called it Vineyard for reasons which I'll explain later. He was referencing two specific Bible verses. He felt like God led him to do that, believing he'd God had instructed him to do that. He gave the church the name Vineyard and, and actually planted four or five churches. It was about seven by the time John Wimber came along. They planted seven churches, just in an initial informal network, very chilled out, very loosely bonded together. But God was doing something and it was growing. And as part of that, a man called John Wimber came along and in 1977 started a house church which eventually, five years later, became known as Anaheim Vineyard. And Wimber is recognised at this point, after about five years, it becomes very clear to Ken Gullickson that he wasn't meant to lead this thing, that John Wimber was the guy who was meant to lead this thing. Wimber has his own story. He's an ex-musician, which is why I really relate to him. Um, But he was just an, an actually a really gifted man of God. But the, the, the guy, and a very humble, humble man, but the guy who was there at the start. And it just became very clear that he was supposed to lead this thing. And so in 1982, uh, they started this thing called the Vineyard, the Association of Vineyard Churches. Now today, there are over 2,400 vineyards across the world in 95 different countries. Um, In the UK and Ireland, there are about 150 churches, congregations. I'll come to that in a minute, but I just want to show you this photo because it's one of my favorites. This is a photo of uh, John Wimber's the bearded guy on the piano. I think if I was sat down and I had a beard, maybe I might. Yeah, this is, this is, um, this is the Anaheim Vineyard Church when they were meeting at a school called Canyon High School in Anaheim, near, just two blocks up from Disneyland. Um, and I just happen to love this photo because it talks all about worship. We're going to talk about worship next week. And this is just one more photo of the same gathering. I cannot imagine how the sound was in the gymnasium, in the gymnasium of Canyon High School with all those people and what looks like a very little PA system. However, this is where the vineyard started. Um, and then the next part of the story happens in the UK. And it happens with a couple called John and Eleanor Mumford. Some of you know them. Um, they were Anglican curates. And they were within the C of E, just kind of going up the, going up the ladder, I suppose, kind of uh, learning to lead churches. When they got hooked up with some vineyard people. And God very clearly led them to step away from the Church of England. And instead to go to California to train with Wimber, which they did for a couple of years before coming back to the UK to plant the first vineyard church in the UK, in southwest London, in New Malden, the New Malden Putney area. I was talking to Mark Hibbert Hingston this morning. So, how many of you were part of Southwest London Vineyard? There's at least, yeah, at least four or five of us. Yeah, more of you. I forgot you guys. Yeah, great. So, amazing. The first Vineyard Church in the UK started in 1987. Hugh and Ginny Cryer were a retired naval couple who uh, lived somewhere around here, out um, east from here, Petersfield Way, and um, were just uh, kind of led by God to go and join this church. And they rocked up on the doorstep and said, we've heard there's a new church here, we want to be part of it. And, uh, and they stayed there for six years until God called them to move back here to Winchester in 1994 to start this church, Winchester Vineyard, which you are all part of. That is our genealogy. That's our timeline. That is how we came to be here. Now, Joe and I came along in 2011, having served in another vineyard church, Birmingham Vineyard, for about 19 years. And God very clearly called us to move here 
and to come and take over from here in Guinea, which we did. And I've also included on there two church plants that have come out of this church, one from Arthur and Sarah back in 2001, and one in the last couple of years from James and Lynn. And actually, Lynn is going to be speaking in this series in about two or maybe three weeks' time, the first Sunday in November, all about the whole topic of um, the gift of healing and miracles. So um, this is our genealogy. This is the story of our calling. And it's the story of the men and women who were called by God to lead these different churches at different times in specific times and places to establish the vineyard uh, that, that that's here, that we are part of. Um, now, our, our calling doesn't just come from a, a, a timeline. It comes from the Bible. And there are four passages that I just want to flag up that are part of that. There are many more, but here are four specific ones that are just part of this calling that we sensed to be a church that's on us as a movement and and, um, as a church. One of them is Leviticus chapter 26, verse 9. God says, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. This is God's promise to his people. And in verse 12, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. This is one of the promises that God called us. These verses were very key key. Um, as um, John and Ellie initially um, uh, started the movement in the UK, and um, as we contemplate what it is that God has called us to do. Here's another passage from Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's, uh, this is the calling to be God's holy and loved people. I think we've been experiencing some of this this morning already. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. The Lord loves us and he's chosen us and he's called us. And he's called us to be a church. And then a couple of other passages that come up um, as part of the whole process of naming our movement, the Vineyard Movement. And this is in Isaiah chapter 27. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, will watch over it, watering it carefully. Day and night I will watch so no one can harm it. And the whole idea, the the, the metaphor of a vineyard being just a brilliant metaphor for what God does in a church community. And then Jesus obviously um, talked about that in John 15, about staying connected to the vine. He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is kind of where we get our name from. And this is some of the biblical context to who we are and why we are here. And um, what I want to do for the rest of this morning, um, this talk is really called The Things We Say Around Here. I want to just very briefly look at eight phrases that we use as part of the vineyard, many of them as part of this church here. What they, I'm using phrases because they tend to be easy to remember. Okay, they tend to be easy to remember. And these are some of our key phrases. What this actually is, is descriptions of how we work out our calling. How we work out that calling to be God's holy and faithful people. To be God's chosen and beloved people. Um, and, and what that looks like in the context of everyday um, church and life. And so I'm going I'm, I'm to go through these reasonably quickly and you've got them on your sheet in front of you as well. And each one of them has a Bible reference. I won't necessarily read out all of the references, but they're there for you to look up. Um, and the first one is this. It's very simply, uh, the phrase is the main and the plain. You might have heard that before. The main thing is the plain thing. Something that um, 
Actually, I think this quote is attributed to Stephen Covey, who's a leadership guy. But I heard John Wimber say it, and it was this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's so easy, isn't it, to get distracted, particularly in Christian circles. It's so easy to go off on a rabbit trail of what do we think about this and what do we think about that. And the truth is we believe and we teach the Bible. And our theological worldview to interpret the Bible is the kingdom of God. And we see that fully explored in the words and the works of Jesus, who we try and copy. And we went into this quite in detail before the summer. We had an eight-week series on the kingdom of God. So I'm not going to go back over that ground. But you can catch up with that and and watch it on YouTube. Um, Just to say that the word of God and the the theology of the kingdom of God is central to our faith. And that's what remains the main thing. Um, If you... uh, have anything have any connection with the bible project you'll know this they have this brilliant definition of what the bible is and i love it they say we believe the bible is a unified story that leads to jesus a diverse collection of ancient books which overflows with wisdom for our modern world and as we let the biblical story speak for itself we believe the message of jesus will transform individuals in entire communities and i think that's a brilliant summary of how we view the Bible here at Winchester Vineyard. And there's a verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. We place the gospel of Jesus at the center of what we do. Um, The technical word for that is that we are evangelicals. The word evangel means gospel. We are for the gospel. We don't just teach the Bible for knowledge. We don't believe it's just fancy words to read. We try and teach it for life application. It's brilliant to be biblically literate, but we want to be biblically obedient. We want to read it and understand what it means for us and do what it says. So we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection and his kingdom transformation message has power, not just to inform us and make things feel nicer, but to transform us and to transform every area of our lives. Um, We want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. We want to do the things Jesus did. We're going to remember that and celebrate it at the end of this service when we come and celebrate communion together which is our way of remembering this gospel story and what Jesus did. So that's the main and the plain. Another phrase you'll have heard us say around here is the already and the not yet. Now, as I've already said, we interpret the Bible through this theological lens of the kingdom of God. And in summary, what that means is that we believe that it's really possible to say both that the kingdom of God is here, the already, and also that the kingdom of God is not yet fully here. Not yet. Now, that's a big idea, and Paul spent a whole Sunday talking about that, and you can watch that talk on YouTube as well. It's from back in June. But So I'm not going to go into it again, but we hold this place. We stand between these two positions. We live in the reality of this tension every day. We look for, on the one hand, and we expect the rule and reign of God in every area of life. We expect his power to make a difference. We seek it, we look for it, we pray for it, and we try to act as if it was true. You know, tomorrow, as Joe just said, we're going to be praying for kingdom breakthrough 
for situations that we know cannot get resolved unless God intervenes. And we know that God can intervene and we know that he does and we've experienced that and we've seen it happen. And that's the reality of one part of the tension that we live in and yet that also we live in the reality of the not yet. I heard somebody say the now and the not yet is like a picket fence. It's got gaps. That's what it feels like. But actually what that means for us is that it means we have a healthy theology both for signs and wonders and for suffering. I'm going to say that again. We have a healthy theology for signs and wonders. We believe and we understand that God does stuff. And we have a healthy theology for suffering. We know that God doesn't always do the things we want him to do. And we know that he's with us when things are tough. And so we pray on one hand for miraculous breakthrough. And on the other hand, we care and support and love people who are going through stuff when it's really tough. We can pray for someone who is sick to be healed one day. And we can comfort someone who's dying the next. We can expect and celebrate God's miraculous healing power. And then when we don't experience it, we can yearn for a better future. And that's just the reality that we live in. And there's a verse there from Hebrews 1 about faith, well-known verse. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we don't see. And that's the reality that we live in. This is a faith dynamic. And that's what we mean by the, the already, or the now, and the not yet. Another phrase that we use around here is come Holy Spirit. And you'll be familiar with the verse in the Bible, perhaps, of from Ephesians, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, Paul says to the, to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. And that be filled is a present participle verb. It means go on being filled. Keep being filled. Keep being filled. Be filled, be filled, be filled. We need a constant filling of the Holy Spirit. And so this ancient prayer is one that we pray all the time. Come, Holy Spirit. We are people of the Spirit. We welcome his presence. We wait for him. We see what he does. We believe that he's here. And we always say, come Holy Spirit. A friend of mine, Arthur, actually he was on one of the slides. He leads the Plymouth Vineyard. He said this, our theology of the kingdom of God is probably one of the most treasured parts of our vineyard DNA. And how that looks in practice is the habit of offering prayer to people at every opportunity even in a trustees meeting or a coffee meeting in town, slapping our hand on them and saying, come Holy Spirit. You don't get that in many other places and it's what brings life change to people. So I don't know if it's the right word to use, but I've written here, come Holy Spirit is a mantra around here. <laughs> Thinking about that's probably not the right word. Anyway, um, come Holy Spirit is one of our phrases. Another one is this, and you've heard us say this all the time, everyone gets to play. We believe that anyone and everyone can do the work of the kingdom. We do not have elite or superstar leaders here. We are all commissioned to do the works of Jesus. Um, you know, in one of those early interactions between John Mumford, the English curate, and John Wimber, the Californian laid-back preacher, um, Wimber said to Mumford, I have read all of your great British theologians... And I agree with all of them, all of their thinking. But the difference with us is that we are doing something about it. And uh, Paul talked last week, didn't he, about that phrase, doing the stuff. When do we get to do the stuff? Um, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 1.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. All humans have access to God 
through Jesus. We do not need a priestly mediator like they did in the Old Testament. There is no need to glorify the pastor or the leader. Okay? Hopefully the pastors in our church have to introduce themselves to new people because you can't tell who they are. That's something I'd like to work towards. Because the truth is every believer carries the authority of Jesus. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me and I am giving it to you. Go and make disciples. This was the command he gave them and we are direct descendants of them and we are called to be scattered servants, trusted rulers who permeate every sector of our society and culture. We are called by the Spirit to get involved, to inspire, to invent, to renew, to reform, to reorder, to recreate, to restore. We are a sending church, both locally and globally. And we are all called or sent somewhere to make a difference in the name of Jesus. Everyone gets to play. So while we'd love to gather like this on a Sunday, a key part of who we are is the people of God, not on Sunday. The people of God in all the different places where you're going to be or we're going to be, where I'm going to be tomorrow morning or this week. Whether that's in the university or the playground or with our elderly parents or working in education or healthcare or business. Whether we're commuting on the train to London, whether we're driving around the M25, whether we're working in a supermarket. Whatever it is that we find ourselves doing tomorrow, we are sent there and we are instructed to carry Jesus' authority and we are part of his ministry. We all get to play. How are we so far? Is this going down all right? Are you with me? You're all very quiet. I'm assuming that means you're listening rather than you've gone to sleep. Um, number five is something else we say around here. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. There is a story Jesus tells. Oh, no, sorry. A story told in John about Jesus. And it was about a woman who was caught in adultery and dragged before an angry mob. And before Jesus, and um, Jesus was expected to pronounce judgment on her, and he didn't. He said something very, gave an amazingly clever answer. He said, anyone, the person who's without sin can throw the first stone, and they realized they couldn't do anything, and they all melted away. And I love this interaction. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and live your life of sin. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. It's about a radical welcome and radical discipleship. You do not have to pass any kind of a test to come to this church. You do not have to have your life in order to be welcomed around here. You will be loved, whatever state you are in. Come as you are. And we consistently try and provide that warm welcome to everyone. We try and be aware of the language that we use and the practices that we do we try and make sure that everything we do is in some way accessible for people who've not been to church before we try and create pathways for people to come into church in different ways and at the same time we are aiming to equip all of us each other to be disciples of Jesus who live out our faith in ordinary everyday lives growing in practices and habits that help us become like Jesus learning to lay down our lives for other people, learning to deal with our stuff, learning to become, what's the phrase John Mark Comer uses? Um, Non-anxious presence. That's my aim, to be a non-anxious presence around people, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things we did. That's why in our small groups, 
we talk about the Sunday, we reflect on the Sunday talk and how that's going and what it looks like in practice. That's why we have um, streams of hope and changes that heal and sozo prayer and all these opportunities to get ourselves fixed. That's why we're doing that coming home to the Father Day next Saturday because we really believe in come as you are, but don't stay as you are. This is a place where people are changing, where people are, where lives are being transformed and where we are learning to be better disciples of Jesus. Another one that you would hear around here is the phrase naturally supernatural. And this is about absolutely believing that God's power can break through into our world today and living that out without any need for any additional or unnecessary hype. Okay, so we go about our lives naturally and we aim to listen for God's voice in all circumstances and we pray for healing whenever the opportunity comes up. And let's just be a little bit honest about this. Sometimes people can get a bit funny about the Holy Spirit and they can feel the need to talk things up and to raise their voices or to get religious or to get in people's faces and try and make something happen. And we are not interested in any of that. A friend of mine said this once, take this in the right way. She said, following Jesus is weird enough. If you're choosing to follow someone like Jesus, then that's fairly weird in some people's minds. Let's not add our own kind of weirdness on top of that, okay? And so we try our best to avoid hype and manipulation. We try and use normal voices. We try and act with kindness and dignity and respect towards people, even as we see God do incredible things in their lives. Don't get me wrong. We are absolutely passionate and enthusiastic for the Holy Spirit to come. We want him to come and do his stuff every time we get together. We're not afraid of emotions where that's appropriate, but we do generally want to understate rather than overstate. We want to tell the truth rather than exaggerate. We're going to be honest. If we're praying for somebody and they're not feeling anything and they're not getting healed, then we're not going to pretend that they are just to make ourselves feel better. That's not what it's about. If it's not happening, it's not happening. Let's just be normal and natural. And if we do that, then the Holy Spirit is the one who gets the glory. He gets to come and show up and show up and show off. When two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. He's always around us. Wherever we are, he is with us. I've got a very dry throat today, my apologies. You guys are doing really well, hanging in there. I've only got two more points. Um, number seven is remember the poor. I love this quote from Vineyard, um, the, the American Vineyards website. It says, we lean towards the lost, the poor, and the outcast." And the outsider with the compassion of Jesus, recognizing that we are all in need in some way. And so that phrase, remember the poor, is an encouragement that Paul uses to the church, all his churches actually. But the truth is that none of us have life sorted out. And this passage from Isaiah is very well known. The Lord, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. This was Jesus' manifesto. He quoted it in Luke 4. And this is also our mandate. We are called to do more than just preach the words of Jesus. We are called to do his works, to be rescuers of people, to share love and compassion and invite people to come and find and meet with Jesus. So we welcome the lonely and the outcast. We pray for the sick. We feed the hungry. We provide clothes and equipment. We're trying to get a bus into schools to help young people with mental health. You heard all about this two weeks ago. You know, we are doing things to very specifically show love in the communities that we're part of. We want to be known as people who show love. I want people, people might not know that we're a church around here, but I want them to know that we care. 
And I bump into loads of people who come in here either to give away, to give us clothes and things, or to, to receive clothes and things. And all they know is these are some people who care. These are some people who, who will love us. And we pray that through that, the power of God impacts our city. And very lastly, equipping the saints. And this is where we learn to do the stuff that Jesus did. Sorry, I didn't tell you I was using that photograph. <laughs> um, we've already said that we are a priesthood of all believers. It isn't just the leaders who do the stuff around here. We believe God is speaking and acting through ordinary people. And so anytime that we're teaching, the purpose of our teaching is so that we all get equipped to do this stuff. And this is the, the, the passage from Ephesians 4. It, it says, um, equip his people, but there is an old uh, translation. I think it's the King James translation, which says, equip the saints. And that's a phrase that got banded around. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why do we need to be equipped to do works of service? So that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith. So this is about all of us growing together and us being all about um, helping and learning and growing together in that. Jesus did the stuff and then he equipped his followers to do the same. He sent out 12, then he sent out 72. Equipping the saints for works of service is a vineyard non-negotiable. I was told, train yourself out of a job within a year. If you're a house group leader, you should be thinking, oh, do you know what, who else in my house group has the potential to lead a, lead a group sometime. Not necessarily straight away, but at some point. If you're a coffee team leader, okay, it'd be really great to be looking at all the team going, who could step up and take more responsibility? Not because you want an easy life, but because it's really good to be able to equip and train people because that's what we're about, because we're all about doing the works of, of Jesus. Growth will come through multiplication and empowerment of effective disciples and leaders. And so we are always looking for people to train and empower. And, you know, we're going to spend the rest of this month looking at vineyard values, and then we're going to spend all of November jumping into the specifics of the gifts of the Spirit. We'll spend four weeks looking at just the gifts of God's Holy Spirit, what this actually looks like practically. Some of you will have been around here a while, and you think, oh, what they were talking about, laying hands on people and praying for them, but I don't know if I know how to do that, or I don't know if I feel confident to do that. Um, and, and that's fine, because if that's where you are, we're going to train you. We're going to take that opportunity next month. We're going to hold some extra little sessions as well, because all of us are equipped and empowered to do the works of Jesus. We are all, there's, there, there isn't a ministry team here very deliberately, because we are all the ministry team. And that's really important to us around here. And we learn as we go. You know, Trish has been taking some of our discipleship year guys out onto the streets. There's a little team of people that go out and are currently on a Tuesday, I think, on a Tuesday afternoon and sometimes on a Thursday as well. Just go out into town and pray for people because the whole point of this is it's not just for the church, it's for the world. Now I'm done with this and we're going to come to communion in a second. But there's the, the summary. I, I guess I've got a couple of questions for you to reflect on as we come into communion. And one is, which of these makes your heart sing? I'm just going to be honest with you, all of them make my heart sing. And are there any here that provoke any other kind of emotion for you? Because it may be that you think, oh, I like all that, I like all that, but oh, I don't know about that. You know, and if, you're, if, if, one, if, you, if you find yourself provoked by one of these, I would encourage you to reflect on that and just ask God what's going on there. I want to say this as well. Our commitment in this church is to Jesus. It's not a commitment to vineyard. It's not a commitment to a random memory of John Wimber. 
It's not a commitment to some sort of vague tribe of churches around here. It's a commitment to Jesus. But it's a commitment to Jesus in the context of a church family that God has established, which is part of a wider family that God has established because God places the lonely in families. And so if you are following Jesus and you are part of this church, whether you are thinking about that, whether you, are, whether you feel like you're on the edge, whether you feel like you don't even know why sometimes you come, but you just know that you come, or whether you're well in and you've been committed to this for years, Wherever you are, I want to encourage us just to ask the Lord, where am I in reflection to the Vineyard family? And is there anything you want to say to me about this today? And what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and then we're going to come to communion together. So um, why don't we just be quiet for a sec? Now I said right at the start, that the main thing and the plain thing are that we believe the Bible and we believe the gospel. And it's Jesus and his death and resurrection that's at the root and the head of all of this. And I'm just going to read you a few verses from Mark which describe the conversation Jesus had with his followers just before he went to the cross. And he said this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples and said, take it for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And Jesus, we are here because we want to follow you. Whatever you are calling us to, and however you are calling us to relate within the church or the wider family, it all comes back to remembering what you did for us when you died on the cross. I'd love to invite the people who are going to help share communion this morning just to come up. If that's you, do you want to come? Thank you, guys. And then just spread yourselves out into the four corners of the room. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. If you are new to this church or this is unfamiliar to you, um, how we do communion here is that you um, we take some bread and we dip it in the juice or the wine and then we take it. And so um, you're welcome to go to any of these uh, stations. If you need gluten-free bread, it's down here on my left, your right. Otherwise, you can go into any of the corners. But, Holy Spirit, as we remember your death and your resurrection, and as we celebrate again the remarkable sacrifice that you made for us, Lord, would you show us what it is that you are calling us to do in our lives, in the church, in our workplaces, in our Monday to Friday, nine to five, or wherever we find ourselves. However it is that you are calling us to recommit. And I do sense that for some of us, God is saying, this is a step for you to recommit, to say, I am in again, whatever that looks like. If you sense the Lord inviting you to do that, then 
why don't you talk to him about that as you come for communion? So why don't we stand together? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you've called this church into being and you've called us to be part of it here. And as we remember what you did, we ask that you would meet with us. Connect with us heart to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's no rush, but when you are ready, please feel free to go and uh, to take communion.